0: Well, this morning we're going to continue our series of messages on what is a Christian. And uh, as you saw last week, um, you may have not really realized what the uh, term Christian means. And so we looked a little bit at that last week. So I'd like to begin by um, introducing a person that many of you may have heard of. Her name is Anne Rice. We'll take a, a picture of Anne Rice. That's a few years ago. Uh, you're familiar with her she's an author and she's written over 30 books and she's most famous for writing uh, steamy gothic decidedly unchristian novels such as interview with a an Amp- vampire and vampire diaries in fact she is the one that is kind of given credit for beginning this whole Fascination that we have in the United States with vampires. You know, the, the Twilight trilogy and, and, and all the vampire things that are on TV these days. She was kind of at the forefront of that back in the 1980s. Well, she pursued... Uh, when she was uh, just a teenager, 18 years old, she left her church, the Roman Catholic Church, and the way she describes how she left the church, she left it violently and permanently. She said, it's not for me. I'm done with church. So she pursued her writing career and became wildly successful. She sold over 90 million books. In her late 50s, in 1998, she was converted back to her Christian roots and committed her writing talents to the Lord, uh, including a trilogy about Jesus' life and Called Out of Darkness. Uh, Let me read you just an excerpt of her um, coming to faith in Jesus. As many of you know, in 1998, I returned to the Catholic Church. After years of pondering and searching, the great gift of of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ as our Savior came back to me on a December afternoon, and I went home to the church of my childhood, becoming a member and supporter of it with my whole soul. In 2002, I experienced another transformation. While sitting in church, talking to the Lord, I realized that the greatest thing I could do to show my complete love for him was to consecrate my work to him, to use any talent I had acquired as a writer, as a storyteller, as a novelist, for him and for him alone. I walked out of the church a changed person. I felt that I had consecrated myself to the Lord in whom I completely believed. Thence began my journey into intense biblical study, intense historical research, an intense effort to write novels about the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of faith in his own vibrant first century world. It's a beautiful testimony of how Anne Rice came back to her faith. I think all of us have had those experiences where we've questioned our faith. Now, if you've never questioned your faith, uh, you're a unique individual. In fact, you're probably not being realistic with yourself. (laughs) All of us have questioned our faith at different times, just like Ann Rice has. So I remember when I was 18, I grew up in a very uh, legalistic, fundamentalist church. Um, and uh, when I went to college, um, I was I a was very young uh, young person starting college. I was just 17 years old. And um, I had a biology class, freshman biology, right? A class of 3, 400 students this was at San Diego State University. And I remember uh, having my pastor, my parents, warned me, watch out for your biology professor. They didn't know nothing about it, but they knew what students would hear at, uh, at college. So uh, sure enough, that first day, biology professor said, well, I want to tell you students now that um, we're going to talk a lot about evolution. Now, I grew up believing that you know, Charles Darwin was the Antichrist. And, uh, and he said, we're going to talk about evolution and tell you why it's true and all of that. And those of you who are Christians, those of you who believe in a creation theory, we're going to prove you wrong this year. And so that was his opening statement. I'm sitting there, and I'm terrified. And as I told you last week, I was a very shy kid. And he said, how many of you uh, are brave enough to raise your hand and say that you believe in the creation theory? Well, I kind of looked around, and yeah, there were some... People. So I raised my hand, and naturally, out of all the students he could have picked on, he picked me. You, there, what's your name? Well, I told him my name, and he said, why do you believe that? And I said, well, because that's what my parents taught me and my pastor taught And he just drilled in on me, just embarrassed me. I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I took a long time to get over that. Now, since then, I've been able to reconcile easily the whole idea of evolution and creation and how that it can fit together and all that. So that's no problem. But that really created a crisis of faith in my life. Some of you have had other crises of faith, right? You've been told that being a Christian means that you're kind of a weak-minded person that needs something to hold on to. You've been told that the Bible is filled with myths. Some of you believe that. You've been told that the Bible is filled with contradictions. How many of you have heard, have you heard that one? Okay. How many of you have heard that one? Okay, yeah, all of you have heard that one. The Bible is filled with contradictions. And, and so all of this is going on in all of our lives, and we're saying, I wonder if I should just toss the whole thing out. I wonder if I should just say no more. Well, for Anne Rice, as time went by, 12 years passed, and in 2010, she wrote these two words. She said, I quit. I quit. And here's what she said. For those who care, and I understand if you don't, today I quit being a Christian. I'm out. I remain committed to Christ as always, but not being a Christian or being part of Christianity. It's simply impossible for me to belong to this, and this is what she says, to belong to this quarrelsome, Hostile, disputatious, and deservedly infamous group. For ten years I've tried. I've failed. I'm an outsider. I'm an outsider. My conscience will allow me nothing else. She says, I I love Jesus. I just don't like Christians. These disputatious, hostile people. She writes further... Where it, um, I'm, I'm trying to pick... Oh, here we go. She writes further. Following Christ does not mean following His followers. Christ is infinitely more important than Christianity and always will be, no matter what Christianity is, has been, or might become. And then she adds in another interview, my commitment to Christ remains at the heart and center of my life. Transformation in Him... Is radical and ongoing. I feel now that I am called to be an outsider for him, to step away from the words of Christian and Christianity. It is something my conscience demands of me. Now, I wish she had gone a step further and said, I quit Christianity, but what I really want to be is what? You tell me. A disciple. She says it I want to be a follower of Jesus, and I am. But what I really want to be is a disciple. When we started uh, Hope uh, in Chandler uh, back in the early 2000s, um, one thing we really desired was to reach non-believers. And so we talked about that and we said, well, there's two, really two groups of people we're trying to reach as a church community. We're trying to reach those who are far from God, those who have not said yes to Jesus, those who still need to find Christ, right? But there was another large group of people that we desired to reach. And those who were Christians who didn't go to church. Christians who had been hurt by the church. Christians who had been hurt by other Christians. Christians who said, I don't want to belong to that hostile, disputatious group. And it was amazing to me how many Past Catholics, past Lutherans, past Baptists who had given up on the church, gave it another try, and they found their faith in Jesus alive and real once again. I wonder how many of you have thought about that. Now, I know this must be uncomfortable for some of you. I I understand that. This old way of talking about Christianity is kind of this negative thing. Many of us have had... Experiences with a son or a daughter who quit the church because of this disputatious group. By the way, that's a word you can use on your teenagers because they'll never understand and they'll think that you're being bad. You know, you're you're being so disputatious. Stop it. You know. So, but that's what many young people. That's what the millennials believe about us. They say, I, 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 why can I, how can I be a Christian? How can I be part of Christianity when I see all of this ugliness going on among Christians? That's what Anne Rice said. That's what your teenagers say. We have, In the church I served, um, right now, Sherry told me about, uh, somebody told her that there's this Facebook war going on between two people. By the way, no, 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 no. This Facebook war going on between two people, and it's around politics. And one of them said, I'm not going back to that church again, because that other person's in there. Now imagine all the people that are watching this on Facebook. Imagine uh, non-Christians or Christians who have given up the church looking at that on Facebook and saying, yep, that's it, that's why. That's why I don't want any part of that hostile, disputatious group. Uh, they're arguing over something. They're arguing over, as like we said last week, the little kingdom. They're arguing over politics and they, they can't even get along. We've got to find a way, brothers and sisters in Christ, to fix this. We've got to find a way to fix this. Now, the, the church handled this beautifully for the first 300 years. You know history. We talked a little bit about that last week. First 300 years, the gospel was given to others and presented to others the only way they knew how. They, because they had no other leverage. They had no financial leverage or educational leverage or spiritual leverage. All they had was love and that's how the gospel was spread for 300 then we got organized then we started calling ourselves Christians and everything kind of blew up in the 4th century and for the last 1700 years it's been the same thing so we have to understand what does it mean to be a follower of Jesus because last week we talked about the fact that the word Christian can mean anything you want the word Christian can mean you believe in God the word Christian can mean you're an American The word Christian can mean you're a Republican or a Democrat. Or the word Christian can mean that you just go to church. It can mean any of those things. So it's really this broad, wide uh, definition. And we learned last week from the New Testament, it's only mentioned three times. And all three times the word Christian is used, it's from outsiders talking about you. Those Christians. They were first called Christians at Antioch. And so it was kind of this negative turn. Now, over time, for the, for, after about 300 years, it became kind of what they called themselves. It's like something that you're called that's bad pretty soon kind of gets turned around. Like, remember when geek was a bad, bad word? Now the geek squad is a good word, right? So, so I, sometimes these things kind of get... That's what happened with the word Christian. I mean, think about it. Nations, predominantly Christian, go to war with each other. Civil rights argued both ways whether or not and called themselves Christian, in the name of Jesus. There was this wonderful story. Those of you that know your history have heard this story about Robert E. Lee, about a year after the Civil War ended in 1966 excuse me, 1866. Um, Robert Lee was going with his family to a church, a large Presbyterian church in Virginia, and he went in there, and of course, it was all white. And the uh, uh, blacks had their other church that they went to, other churches. And uh, so they were in there to worship. And all of a sudden, this um, freed slave comes walking into the church and looks around, and there's really no seat. So he goes walking up and sits right on the floor in front of the church. <laughs> and everybody's going, just tittering and just talking. And can you believe that? And all that. So, you know, you've heard this story. Robert E. Lee here's all this kind of tittering and talking and whispering. And so he gets out of his seat and goes up and sits on the floor right next to him. See, he was, he was making a statement. Yeah, he, he fought in the Civil War for the South and he owned slaves himself. But here he was trying to make a statement as a Christ follower that at the cross, at the foot of the cross, we're all one person. We're all exactly the same. This is what the world is wanting to see and believe of us that they don't see. So last week we opened up the New Testament and we looked at this word disciple, this terrifying rock your world word disciple, which means a follower of Jesus. And we talked last week about how the disciple would ask questions in a way that only a disciple would ask. Like, you know, Jesus... I'm following you, I'm a follower of you, so I'm going to ask you, how should I think about this situation? Should I think about this through the grid of politics or through the grid of culture? How should I think about this situation? And then Jesus would presumably give us his answer, right? Or Jesus, somebody really did something bad to me and I'm angry about that. How should I respond to that person? And you ask all these questions. What should I do about sexuality? What should I do about the LGBTQ movement? What should I do about my job? What should I do about all of these things? And here's the deal. Before Jesus can even answer your question, what's your response to him? What's your response to him? Yes. Yes. Say it loudly. Yes. My response is yes. Whatever you say, whatever you, I'm signing off on it right now. The answer is yes. I may not be able to do it very effectively. It's kind of messing with my, my worldview and everything, but the answer is yes. That's what a disciple is, and that's really tough. Much easier to be a Christian. Yeah, you can just be an American and be a Christian. Much easier to be a Christian. That's what we are called to do. And to be, now some of you, uh, especially men, I'll let to speak to the men just for a minute. You, you hear this talk about love, and you say, "Man, that's kind of namby-pamby stuff." You know, I'm a man, right? And I go to work every day, and I go to the gym, and I play sports, and I well, I don't play sports, but I watch sports, and you know. And you're just going, kind of, "I'm a man," you know, and that other stuff seems effeminate. Well, here's here's something I want to say to you, if you kind of believe that. If you want to understand what Jesus meant. By what he said, look at what he did. Let me say that again. If you want to understand what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. So before you poo-poo this Jesus thing, what he said about love and all that kind of stuff, consider this. Here's a 30-year-old man that marched into Jerusalem knowing full well he was going to be arrested, put to death, and um, you probably wouldn't do that, men. I mean, here's a guy that grew up, imagine, now, the the way that uh, the Romans gave illustrations about don't mess with me, don't mess with Rome, that's why they came up with this idea of killing, crucifixion, didn't start with Jesus, been going on for about 30 years, crucifixion, so Jesus grew up seeing these rotten corpses hanging on crosses, and he had this niggling in the back of his head. The spirit was saying, you know, sorry to say, but that, that's going to be you someday. So, so, I mean, when he would go to Jerusalem with his mom, his mom would cover his eyes. I don't want you looking at that. That's the worst kind of death there possible. So it, but before, you, if you want to understand what Jesus meant by what he said, look at what he did. This is what he did. He knew every Roman citizen feared this thing called the cross. And Jesus knew that's exactly where he was going. And so this is what Jesus said to his disciples. We looked at it last week. A new command I give you. Love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. All men know that you are my disciples if you love one another. There's something remarkable about that statement. And we talked about this last week that it's not a matter of just loving each other here in the body of Christ. That's what he was talking about with his disciples. But it's loving each other the way that Jesus loved us. See it's easy to say, I love tacos, right? Or I love football. You know, so you can use the word love in any way. We're, we're talking about a different kind of, we're talking about the way Jesus loved you. And Jesus loved you by going to one of those Roman crosses and shedding his blood so that your life could be saved. So that you could experience the forgiveness and love of the Savior and spend eternity with him. That's what love is. It's not, I really like something. That's what love is. That's what Jesus showed. So let's talk about this, this man who wrote this word, John. So 55 years after Jesus said these words to the disciples, he gave us the gospel of John. He's an old man now, and now he's sitting down to write some, some other letters, and he writes 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Okay, you, you, Those of you that know, have been around the Bible, you you know that. So... Fifty-five years, John has observed all of these things happening. This is what John has seen. Uh, He's seen many people crucified. He's seen Peter martyred, being executed. Uh, He's seen the Apostle Paul taken to Rome and beheaded outside the city. He looks around and he realizes he's the only apostle left out of all the original ones. And Paul, he realizes that he's, he's an old man now. He's being sentenced to the island of Patmos. All these things are happening. And uh, he's looking back on his life and saying, man, what I have seen. i have loved to be an old man, but uh, God must have preserved me so for some reason. Uh, but he said, I, I've lived through, I've, I've seen what Tiberius does. Oh, I, I've witnessed Caliglia. I've seen what he does to Christians. I remember what Nero did, Nero's circus. Thousands upon thousands of Christians tortured and martyred for the Lord. I, I've survived all of that. And then he sits down to write a document, uh, really a sermon. It was going to be a letter that was going to be you know, dispersed to all of the churches at that time. Remember, this is 55 years later, after Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And so John, now with all that in his mind, he's seen all this horrible stuff, all the disciples, you know, all this stuff happening. You'd think he would be like Anne Rice and say, I quit and I'm out. (laughs) No more. Here's what John writes in the midst of all of that. First John 4, 7 to 11. Dear friends, let us love one another. And you're saying, John, time out. You just got through witnessing what Tiberius has done to believers. You just got through listening to Caliglia and his wretchedness. Uh, we saw Nero. We saw Diocletian. We saw all of these Christians destroyed. All of the disciples are martyred. And you're saying, love, let, let us love one another? Come on. Can we give up on that idea? It's not working. It's just not working. Here's what John says. Let us love one another, for love comes from God. Really? Really? Are you still hanging on to that, John? Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Come on, John, are you kidding me? Don't you remember all these terrible things that have happened? This is how God showed his love among us. John says, I was there. Mary was there among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. What Jesus said 55 years ago in the upper room to his disciples, what he said to them, you know, you need to love each other the way I have loved you. John is saying the same thing after all of these horrible things have happened. He says nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. Love is the key. That's what transforms the world is love. Now, that's, that's being a long ways from a disputatious, quarrelsome group. Love is it. And you would say to John, Now, now John, I, I know this preacher, and uh, he's not very loving. In fact, he doesn't really like people very much. But man, can he preach? John says, mm, No. 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 That, that's not what I'm looking for. That's not what I'm looking for. No, it's love. Well, but I, I know this woman, and she knows her Bible inside and out. She can quote every verse in the Bible, but but she's kind of disputatious. <laughs> She's kind of argumentative with everybody and everything. And and John said, no, no. I'm glad she knows your Bible, but, you know, the devil knows the Bible, too. So let's don't make that the only thing, right? No, no, there's something. But but I, I know all of the names of God, right? Um, omniscient, omnipresent, omnis, and he's powerful and mighty, and we sing the song Adonai and Elohim and, and Yahweh, and I know all the words of God. John says, that's all good, that's all good, but let me back it up and tell you what's of first importance. God is love. Yeah, but what about justice and judgment? Don't you dare try to see God's justice apart from his Amazing love. Love is the beginning. Love is the fountainhead. Love is the thing. The new commandment, Jesus said, everything else flows from that. God is love. John says, I was there. I w- it was among us. I saw him hanging on the cross. I was there, this outrageous act of love for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life you you memorized that when you were six years old John said I know I wrote it <laughs> it's a great verse Well, what about uh, my mother-in-law you know what, what about my boss the president of the HOA, or this freshman that's bullying me at school, this staff member, this person who just cut me off in traffic, that Muslim, that LGBTQ radical, what about them? John said, listen, you forget, I was there. I saw all of the horrible things. It hasn't changed the message of Jesus. and It hasn't changed my message. You've got to love each other as Jesus has loved you. Now, in in that verse he talks, in verse 11, he says, we ought to love. Let me give you a little word about that word ought from the original language. It's a debtor's term, and it indicates a debt of love. And so there's this debt-debtor relationship that we have with every other person around us, beginning with the body of Christ and extending to the world. And that debtor relationship is this. I, because of how Jesus loved me, we owe it to others to love them in the same way. Ought. We owe it to them to love them in the way that Jesus loved me. How else will they know? How else will they know? Will they know by Christianity? Because Christianity is defined by the Crusades and all kinds of horrible things. We couldn't figure out during the Civil War which side we were on. We couldn't figure out whether slavery was right or wrong. I mean, uh, you know, you know, we broke away from Great Britain, but the one thing they did really well is they got that slavery thing right a full generation before we ever am- messed with it because of economics, of course, right? There's something about that debt of love to others. We had a... Um, I got an email a couple of years ago from a girl named Arlene Hudson. She was in my youth group way back before I went to seminary in 1972. So she was a teenager in my youth group and she got in touch with me uh, and emailed me and she told me that she's now a grandma. How'd that happen? She was in my youth group and now she's a grandma? Come on, that's not fair. And she reminded me of some of the things that were happening in our youth ministry in those days and from 72 to 74 before I went to seminary. And I remember those days so beautifully. Um, The church didn't quite know how to handle the 70s, just like we didn't know how to handle the 60s, just like we don't know how to handle 2018, right? And and these kids with no shoes and long hair and really talked funny. I mean, I was in San Diego. See, there's the surfer dudes. And, and, And all of these weird kids coming into our church, you know, Where's the suit and tie? Where's the wingtips? You know? And all of these kids coming. And I remember we had to have these Bible studies. And our kids were so fired up about Jesus, they would bring their friends from school. And we met in the basement because that's where you put teenagers so nobody else will see them. And, <laughs> and, 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 and you guys have your room over there. And, and, and so we, we, we had 50 kids in there. And we were studying the Gospel of Matthew. Remember, we were studying Matthew. And, and halfway through... Uh, one of the teenagers would say, "Hey, my friend Jim here. He doesn't know Jesus, and he and he wants to know Jesus right now." And so we'd stop and we'd pray for him, and, and what we found, what we discovered, was something pretty radical, and is that the, all these kids were drawn into Jesus because they were loved by somebody. They were loved by another teenager. They were loved by one of these buttoned-down um, adults that could see beyond the long hair and the bare feet and see a kid who wanted to give his life to Jesus. That's what we're talking about. Not categorizing people, not seeing people groups. Oh, I can't be one of those. I don't want to be one of them. We've got to get away from that, and we start loving people how? The way Jesus loved you. We're not supposed to be that quarreling, hostile disputatious and deservedly infamous group now we need this to go away we need to be eradicated we need to become disciples we need to love one another I don't want to say I quit because I will never quit but I will agree with Ann Rice on this I am a disciple of Jesus Christ and I will do whatever it takes to follow him And it won't be about my politics, and it won't be about the culture, and it won't be about another generation that told me I needed to behave a certain way. I want to be a follower of Jesus. Albert Camus, the late, great French infidel, wrote these words, I would be a follower of Jesus if it weren't for the leprous body he drags behind him. That's the church. Last week, I gave you a challenge for a few days, and that challenge was to live out this idea that we are to love our children, our parents, our aunts and uncles, our neighbors, the people we go to school with, the people we work with. We are to love them the same way that Jesus has loved us. This morning, I want to offer you, I want to issue to you a three-month challenge. For three months, I want you to live like that. Now, some of you are going to go home and say, that's dumb, I'm not going to do that. And That's okay. I, I, be a Christian. I, that's, that's your choice. But I'm talking about being a disciple. For three months, if you make a commitment that you will love other people, regardless of the color of their skin or their political view or where they live or how they look or how they behave, that you will love them the way that Jesus loved you and if you do you will find that the world in Oro Valley will peek over the side of this church and say I don't know about this Christianity stuff and I don't know about religion and I don't know much about this particular church but I want what they have I I, I don't know if I want to become one but I want my son to marry one I don't know if I I, I can live like that, but I want my partner in business to be like that. And they look at us and they say, they will know we are Christians by our love. John would say, you give up your leverage in society, you give up your voice and influence when you settled for anything instead of love. This week, I challenge you to love one another, as Jesus has loved you, not just this week, but for three months. And in a moment when we start taking our communion, I want to give you an opportunity to really to meditate on this idea. And don't do this just uh, casually. Don't say, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll do that for three months. Because we're talking about a radical change in some of your lives. You can't be disputatious for three months. You can have your own opinions, of course. You can say them with respect, but you can no longer be disputatious. Because that's what the world sees in us all the time. They don't want to see that anymore. They're tired of it. They say, I quit, I'm out. God wants us to love each other as he has loved us. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, as we come to the table this morning, we come with this whole sense of, man, what do I do with this kind of message from John? In 1 John 4, I... My mind is swimming. I mean, he saw all the terrible things, things that you are unimaginable, things that were done to Christians, and, and he still came out of that saying that we're to love each other as you loved us. Lord, how do we do that? Lord, I, the next two weeks, we're going to be talking about specifically how we do that, and I pray that this congregation, let me just pray for each individual. Father, each individual would decide in their heart right now whether or not they want to try this. This is not going to be easy uh, to, to, to love others the same way that Jesus has loved me. Father, may that be our prayer this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.